Hello everybody and welcome back to Picking Up Rubber. I am your host, Justin Russo, and today we are reviewing the British GP that took place at Silverstone just this past weekend. Wild race, I think by far the race of the year. From lap one, we had a crazy incident. Everything in the race just kept kind of piling on, and by the end, it was pure chaos. So there's a lot to dive into, and as I mentioned, lap one was insane. Let's just get right into and start with lap one. The insane crash, George Russell... Pierre Gasly, and then, of course, Joe Guan Yu, who ends up going all the way to the tire barriers, gets wedged in between the tire barriers on the roof of the car, essentially. Let's just go over kind of what happened. So the start, George Russell gets a little bogged down. He and Joe Guan Yu are kind of fighting for position on the left side of the track. Of course, it's a right-handed turn one going into Silverstone. Um, Pierre Gasly tries to kind of get up the middle in between the both of them. George Russell goes to close him off. Obviously, either didn't see him or just completely misjudged where Pierre Gasly was. Turns into the left, hits Pierre Gasly, and then hits Joe Guan Yu as well with his front tires. And it immediately flips Joe Guan Yu's car. He slides right away. He's on the roof of his car. You can see the onboard camera actually on his car shuts off because right away he flips over. And the T-cam, where that is on, on the roll hoop, just disintegrated and it was completely gone, which is a big problem that I'll talk about in just a second. But essentially, Joe Guan Yu goes on his roof all the way past the gravel and then just an insane kind of turn of events. He kind of digs into the dirt right in front of the tire barrier and the whole car just flips over and it wedges itself in between the tire barrier and the catch fence, which was very dramatic and it was very tough to watch, honestly. And you know, we don't see or we didn't see the re replays of it initially because obviously the broadcast doesn't want to show something tragic happening to Joe Guan Yu. It's completely understandable. And with the way the car looked and how hard how hard it was wedged into the uh, that little gap there, who knows what would have happened. Eventually, thankfully, we even saw George Russell on top of the tire barriers with all the marshals. He got out. Everyone was trying to help Joe Guan Yu. The halo, it, it saved his life. I think you can say, I mean, add another win for the halo. That saved Joe Guan Yu's life because he was wedged in there so hard. That thing did not budge whatsoever. And even with the roll hoop going, which made his head essentially even closer to the ground because he didn't have that clearance that the roll hoop usually offers, he was so close. And I'm so glad that he was okay. The halo did its job. And what's up with the roll hoop, though? I mean, that obviously, that's not something that F1 teams are thinking about a lot. You know, they're not thinking about what the roll hoop's going to do you know, when the car flips over, but that's its job, right? It, you know, it's, it's there. Yes. It's an aerodynamic part of the car, but it's there for safety. And so you have to think about that. If you're an F1 team, you have to say, look, this is why this part is here. And yes, it's a rare occurrence that we're going to need it essentially, but it's there for a reason. We have to use it or we have to make it properly so that when we have to use it, it works. And it just did not work on the Alfa Romeo car. Hopefully that's a one-off thing. And, and, you know, maybe, Something happened there, but if that's going to be what it's like any time a driver goes, you know, on his roof, essentially, or on the, on the lid of the car, that's worrying because, yeah, the halo did its job, but you just never know what could happen in the future, what other types of incidents could happen. We saw, I mean, look at Roman Grosjean's crash in 2020. Who could have ever predicted that something like that would have happened? So many things failed on those cars and with the barriers that it just led to the ultimate scary situation. So I think with the roll hoop, we need to... The FIA and the F1 needs to look into that, see why it failed, and see what ways it can be improved in the future. So, thankfully, Joe Guan Yu was okay. And people doing the track walk after the race, it was funny. You could even see the divot that it made in the asphalt surface. There was a huge divot 
that it made his car just sliding across the, the, the track surface. So that was insane to see. There was a lot of people caught up in that crash. Alex Albon got a real bad part of it too. And, you know, he was trying to avoid the crash. He braked really hard. Um, and Sebastian Vettel went into the back of him, turned him to the right, and he hit the wall, the pit wall, essentially, the outside of the pit wall that had no barrier, not no barrier, excuse me, had no soft softness to it, essentially. It was just a hard wall. He hit the wall. Car goes back to the left-hand side. He gets hit again, goes back to the right. He gets hit one more time. So he had a real rough ride there at the beginning. Thankfully, too, he was okay. He went through a lot. And and look, you know, I talk about the roll hoop, but these cars are extremely safe. And it's awesome to see that in such an insane crash with so many things happening between Joe Wan Yu and Alex Albon, people getting hit every which way, both drivers walked away unscathed. They're going to race again in seven days' time, at least from the time of the race. And that's just great to see. That's no, We don't want anybody to get hurt in F1. Yes, it, it's inherently dangerous. We know this, but we don't want the danger to be the attractor for people. We don't want to say, oh, we love it because we think someone might get hurt this weekend. Of course not. Nobody wants that. So you want the cars to be as safe as possible. It's part of the reason why they've gotten bigger and some of the rule changes that have been made, you know, maybe that haven't been super popular have been made just in the name of safety. So really glad to see that. Of course, that brought out the red flag then, so we were kind of in a red flag situation. And I didn't even mention on lap one, Carlos Sainz, who had pole position, got passed by Max Verstappen. So it was a weird incident here because... Carlos Sainz got passed by Max Verstappen. Max into the lead, Sainz in second. I think Lewis got up to third from, I believe, fifth what he was. So a lot of guys moving up in the order there. And it was funny because you're thinking, okay, well, Max is going to start first. But they had gone such little distance. They hadn't even completed a single sector. They had completed two corners of the entire race, or the entire lap, that is. And so race control said, we just have to go back to what the original starting order was. So if you're Max Verstappen, how frustrating is that? Thinking, oh, I got the move done, and now I got to go and do the move again because now I just get sent back. And so on the restart, the second time, it's exactly what happened. Carlos Sainz was able to maintain that lead. Max Verstappen, frustratingly for him, had to stay in second. And just even Lewis Hamilton, again, I mentioned he got up to third. He kind of got bogged back down, didn't get the greatest start. So a lot of things happened, a lot of shuffling happened, and it was frustrating for them. And then you look at what happens then on that second restart. It's Carlos Sainz in the lead, Max Verstappen chasing, chasing, chasing. And he finally gets him. He finally catches him. I think probably 10, 15 laps into the race, Max Verstappen takes the lead. And you're thinking, and I personally thought, and I believe I said this to a couple people just saying, well, there's, there goes the race there. You know, it looked like Max Verstappen had the fastest car all weekend. Yeah. He didn't get pole position, but it looked like if he was able to put the lap together, there was so much pace in that Red Bull more than the Ferrari could even hope to dream of. I thought the race was over. I thought it was setting up to be kind of a boring one. Yeah, there might be some battles in the back. Boy, was I wrong. The, what was about to come, I had no idea what was going to hit me. Just a couple laps later, Max Verstappen, going down the hangar straight uh, towards the end of the lap, starts slowing. He started slowing in Maggots and Beckett's, and then Carlos Sainz catches him and passes him on the hangar straight, and Max pits immediately. We're thinking, puncture. I think Martin Brundle was even saying, oh, there's a puncture. They go in, they change the tires and there was no puncture. The tires were fine. So you're thinking, okay, so now what happened on Max's car? And so Sainz, Leclerc, you know, Hamilton, a bunch of guys are all past Max. And we come to find out he ran over a piece of debris from an AlphaTauri, I believe. And it wedged itself somewhere in the rear of the car. And, you know, Max was even saying on the radio, he said, I can't believe such a small piece, you know, getting wedged in there could 
lose make me lose so much performance and it did it just tanked his entire race there was no way for them really to get it out during the pit stops without at least taking a huge amount of time and that was essentially max's race gone he still would go on to finish in the points he was able to salvage some things but just wasn't able to get it and um then you move on and a really interesting situation here happens at ferrari because you have carlos Sainz in the lead Charles Leclerc, who also had wing damage, by the way. He he and Perez on the second, I believe it was, restart. They made contact, and both of them got wing damage. Perez got sent to the back. Charles Leclerc sustained that wing damage and had to battle with Carlos Sainz. And he was faster than Carlos Sainz, even despite this wing problem. And the team was telling Carlos, hey, you need to push. You need to keep, you know, you need to go faster. Obviously, they were getting ready to tell him, you know, hey, you need to let Charles by. But it just went on for far too long for, I guess, the Grand Ferrari strategy, if you will. And they should have swapped the cars earlier. I understand, you know, it's a tough situation. You have a driver looking for his first win. He's in first place. And you're telling him to swap positions because he's slower. But there's good reason for it because they had some faster cars behind and, and Hamilton and Perez that were potentially catching them. And there just wasn't, um, you know, wasn't much they could do. So ends up. They finally let Leclerc by after Sainz can't do really anything. And so, you know, you're thinking, okay, Carlos Sainz plays the team game. And Leclerc's kind of chilling out in front there for a while. And then, boom, safety car hits towards the end of the race. And it was also looking really good for Lewis Hamilton because Lewis Hamilton had just pit onto a fresh new set of, of uh, hard tires. And he looked like he was going to catch Carlos Sainz and he was going to catch Charles Leclerc and he was going to win that race just because of the tire advantage. Then that safety car hits. It was Esteban Ocon coming down the old pitch straight just after or just before cops. That is his car fails. We get a safety car completely mixes everything up and we get an interesting call from Ferrari. So I mentioned the team orders and you know, I'll, I'll go into this a little bit more in just a bit too, but they pit Carlos signs for softs and they leave Charles Leclerc out on old hard tires, sort of like what we saw in Abu Dhabi last year, which is not a fair fight. You know, fresh softs on old hards is like, that is literally the worst thing you can get on any set of dry tires that you'd want right there. So essentially everyone behind pits on, pits on the new softs. Leclerc is just a, a sitting duck out there. The team even tell Carlos Sainz, and, and I like this from Sainz, his response, you know, they told him, hey, leave as much space that you can to Charles. We're going to need you to essentially back up everyone to keep him in front. And he's saying, look, I'm a sitting duck out here too, guys. I can't just sit back here. I got Lewis Hamilton, a seven-time world champion behind me. I got Sergio Perez and the fastest car on the grid behind me. I got a bunch of guys behind me that are looking to pass me nice and fast here too. I can't just sit back and wait for Charles on old hard tires. I got to go too. And to his credit, he was right because he he both of those drivers would have been just thrown to the wayside if they had gone Ferrari's way. So signs right away. I mean, before they even get onto the Wellington straight, it already passed Charles Leclerc and tons of battles behind. Lewis Hamilton didn't get a great restart. He and Perez were battling a lot. Perez got right past him too. So just a lot, lot going on on that restart. And then, you know, signs kind of just, he kind of checks out a little bit and he was able to just, you know, go out towards the end and, and have a kind of a essentially clean race while Perez, Leclerc and Hamilton were just having the battle of their lives back there. And not even to mention Lando and Fernando Alonso too. They weren't, I wouldn't say in the fight, but they were right there. I mean, it was those five cars on five different teams. The dream of Formula One, I know. 
they were all just battling for the second place, and it was the best thing to see. And you get the the huge moment, right? You get Sergio Perez trying to get past Charles Leclerc. He goes side by side into Stowe with him. They go down to the Vale chicane. Leclerc laid on the brakes. Perez goes in deep, cuts the corner, I will say a little bit. They're both fighting off the track as they get onto the Hamilton straight it is, and Lewis Hamilton takes advantage on the straight. It is his namesake, and he goes right past, and of course the legendary call by David Croft. The through goes Hamilton. You know, that was such a great call. I even posted on Twitter earlier this week, looking back on his call of the 2020 race where Hamilton's tire went out, and I was just so in awe of his ability to make that call and I might even mention on the last episode too just to process everything in that moment and give out such good information such an entertaining call great by him and another iconic you know call there it gives it gives you chills every time you listen to it unfortunately Perez was able to get past Hamilton <laughs> in the next couple of corners so he didn't get second he got third but yeah just just so much happening at the end there and you know that was that's kind of the the quick recap the the spark notes of it I'm gonna go through every team here kind of my thoughts on everything that happened and um yeah, so let's let's go through that now. Starting with Red Bull, man, another reliability issue. Uh, it's not really fair, I guess, to say a reliability issue, but you know, it, it is worrying to see something that small could damage the car that bad. And of course, a great job by Max to sustain P7. You have to be happy if you're Red Bull. You lose only six points to Charles Leclerc in the championship. I know the the constructors they get a little more, but they really didn't lose out that much to Ferrari on a day that at one point they were both out of the points. Max was down there fighting after his pit stop. Perez had the lap one incident with Leclerc. Ferraris are running 1-2, and you barely lose any points. So uh, kind of a blow for Ferrari, the fact they weren't able to get more points out of this, and it's kind of becoming a theme for Ferrari these days where they just cannot, whatever they do, maximize anything that they, they try. The strategy, the driver's pace, it's whatever it is, reliability, it always gets in the way for them. And it sucks to see for Ferrari because this could have been a huge race for them to climb back in this championship race. It just didn't turn out to be the case. So, you know, obviously, great job by Red Bull. And a huge shout-out to Checo. I mean, what a drive by him. Just kind of hanging out there for most of the race. Gets the safety car. I mean, he was just right back up into the front. I mean, kudos to him for, for just fighting back like that. We know he has the ability to fight back. We saw it in his first career win in Secure in 2020. He has just been on fire, I think, this year in terms of his qualifying pace, getting a lot closer to max. His race pace always being up there. He's kind of doing what we hadn't seen or, you know, what Mercedes had wanted Bottas to be, you know, kind of the wingman and what we didn't see from him last year where Perez is always in the fight. He's always mixing it up with the guys at the top. And, you know, this year, if you want to say it's kind of what Sainz hasn't been doing as of, you know, most of the year, you know, maybe save for the last few races. But, yeah, I mean, just great drive by him, great damage limitation by both of them. And what can you say? I mean, a bad weekend, but. I guess a good weekend overall for, for Red Bull. They get a car on the podium, and they do a bunch of damage limitations. So moving on from Red Bull, we have Ferrari then. First, congratulations to Carlos Sainz on his first win. I had even said in the Canadian GP podcast, you know, this win was going to come. He He's in one of the best cars on the grid. He's a really good driver. This win was going to come at some point this year, I thought, and maybe sooner than I expected here, but he gets the pole position. He gets the win. Just a great weekend for him. Congratulations. I know he enjoyed that one so much. He talked so much in the after show and, you know, on the podium and how important this was and how iconic this was for him to do it with Ferrari at an iconic track like Silverstone. So he was over the moon and so happy for him. 
and happy that he finally kind of took control. You know, he played the team game. He, you know, obviously he tried to stay out in front early in the race, but he ended up playing the team game. He said, okay, Charles can go by. I know, you know, what we have to do as a team. At the end there, he just made his own decision. He said, look, you guys are wrong here. And he, he was right in saying that he needed to protect Leclerc. Totally the wrong decision. He would have got eaten up. He did the right thing, battled clean with Leclerc, passed him clean, and got his first win. So good job there. Obviously, the clerk's frustrated. He felt, I'm sure, that not only should he probably have been let by earlier, but the pit stop decision. What are Ferrari doing on the pit stop decision? Why don't they pit him? I mean, if you have a chance, this isn't like NASCAR where it's like, ah, oh, we'll stay out for a track position on a green-white checker because we have two laps to go or something. No, there was 12 laps to go, I believe, and on old hard tires, what are you doing, Ferrari? I mean, obviously, if you pit signs... You expect Sainz to just kind of sit back there the entire time and, and hold up everybody else while Leclerc just trundles along in his old hard tires? I mean, there's no way that's going to happen. Leclerc was always going to get passed by all those guys. I know the safety car kind of came out at an inopportune time for them. They might not have been in the right spot to, to make that decision to pit. They still should have made the decision on the lap after and, and brought him in. So frustrating for Ferrari. Um, and And, you know, I saw a lot of people saying, too, and I thought it was an interesting conversation around, you know, the whole team orders thing where, and I know I'm a recent F1 fan. I can't speak to the sentiment that was, you know, happening back in the old days with Ferrari with Barrichello and Schumacher, but it felt like a lot of people back then, and, you know, even now I think are still, they don't like team orders. You know, it's obviously we want guys to race, right? We want them to race. We want them to have the action. You know, if you want to win the race, go past the guy. And that's kind of how I felt, too. With the clerk, you know, I understand that at the end of the day, you it, it would have been better for the team for them to let him buy. But you're not racing for 13th and 14th. You're racing for first place. And this is Carlos Sainz's first win on the line. At some point in F1, it just feels like every time the top driver, if you will, Max, Lewis, Charles, you know, Lewis last year at least, mostly... Every time that they get close to someone, it's, oh, just let them right by. You know, let them right by. It's <laughs> You guys have to work for something at some point. You, know, you have to get past guys doing races. It's not just going to be, oh, my teammate's in front of me, or we're going to let them right by. Carlos is fighting for the win. You got to get past him at some point. And I saw people, they're thrashing Ferrari on social media. Oh, it's such a stupid decision. Why didn't you let him by? They're probably the same people that are saying, oh, we need to let him race. This, You know, we need... More racing, this is all politics and stuff. You got to pick one. I, I'm on the side. I can agree, obviously, that objectively, yes, it would have been for the team goal better for Ferrari to let Charles by because it would have allowed him to escape, you know, kind of Lewis's pace there at the end. But I think that in the same vein, I would just much prefer them race, you know. I think that. Honestly, you you have to pass people to win. You have to fin cross Will Buxton. You have to cross the line first to win the race. You know, it's it's you you have to fight for it. And I don't like things just being handed out to drivers. So you know, from the team perspective, yeah, I I get it. I understand why they would have made those team orders. But I just want to see the guys race, and I would rather them race and do what you have to do, and let the chips fall where they may. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough decision, obviously, but I'm not a fan of team orders. I would rather, yeah, even if it messes up Ferrari's race, I just let them drive. Let them, you know, let them see what happens. They're, they're supposed to 
go out there and fight for the win, let them do it. So it's kind of where I fall on that. That's, it's like, again, a tough situation. But from Ferrari, let's move on. Mercedes, I mean, just incredible from Lewis Hamilton. I think he had that race won if it weren't for that safety car. He had an excellent weekend, excellent race, and it looked like, I mean, his pace was just outstanding. He was just flying. He was putting in fastest lap after fastest lap in all you know sectors of the race there. And he was just doing a great job, and it felt like he was back. It felt like this was one of the first weekends where Lewis Hamilton was back. He was in the mix, and I honestly thought he was going to win the race. You know, it's being at home at Silverstone. Without that safety car, I think it would have been close, but I think he would have caught Leclerc ended up winning that race. So it is what it is for Lewis. So, you know, I think he'll be – he's a little frustrated with the P3, but you got to be happy if you're Mercedes getting the P3 where they didn't know where they were going to be. And, and, you know, speaking of, we have this new directive coming in from Paul Ricard with some of the way the floors are built. There's rumors that Ferrari and Red Bull might uh, have to kind of rebuild the floor, rethink the design a little bit down there. So that, in addition to the whole porpoising thing, I think that could bring Mercedes closer. And hopefully they're they're kind of, they kind of enter this fight. I think that's what everyone wants to see here is Mercedes enter this fight, get three teams in it, and just let them have at it. And hopefully it's not too late for, you know, Hamilton and Russell to... I don't think they're going to win the championship, but, you know, hope, hopefully it's not too late for that. But, yeah, I think that would be awesome um, for the Mercedes to get in. So, yeah, I'll, that's that's down the line. It's a couple of races down the line to Paul Ricard, so we'll see what happens there. And then George, uh, you know, it's frustrating for him. I think he was clearly at fault for that incident, just kind of turned in on Pierre. There's nothing really to it. It was nice to see him kind of get out and, and go right over to Joe um, and kind of check on him. saw a lot of memes about, uh, you know, his – Incident last year at Imola with Bottas, how he treated that. A little different. And, you know, it's nice to see some growth from him, though. I do agree with the FIA saying he's not allowed to start the race. Look, even Toto Wolf said, hey, rules are rules. So there's a lot of complaints, I know, about him not being able to start the race. Said he stopped to check on Joe. He didn't stop because the car wouldn't go. Hey, man, I it sucks. I would have loved to see him race, but that's just how it goes. Can't start the race again, so... Moving on to McLaren now, um, it was kind of a typical McLaren weekend, I would say. Lando in the mix. He was fighting with Fernando. He lost a spot at the end in the pits during the safety car to uh, Fernando. I can't remember exactly where. And Lando finished, yeah, one spot behind Fernando. That's what I thought. Um, But he was in the mix. He was up there kind of picking up the best of the rest. And Daniel was second to last in the race, 13th. In a race where only 14 people finished, Dana Ricardo's 13th, and yeah, I mean, typical McLaren weekend. It's frustrating. I love McLaren. I love Daniel. I love Lando. Something's got to give here soon. Either Daniel's got to start performing, or I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, Daniel's my favorite driver, personally. I don't want to see him go, but man, this is starting to get a little rough out here. So yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens at McLaren there. Alpine, Ocon, of course, had the... The uh, car failure, you know, it was an electrical failure, engine failure of some kind that he had down that back pitch straight. And, uh, you know, so that was a little rough for them. They've had some <laughs> can't speak. They've had some reliability issues this year. Um, kind of looked like they were a little bit past it. They ran really well in Canada. And obviously it got off on here. He was running in the points and wasn't able to finish in the points. And then Alonzo again, kind of the uh, same story as Lando, just kind of hanging around. No, kind of best of the rest, having his own little race out there. And then the safety car, he kind of joined in that party late. And, um, 
you know, doing Fernando things up there. Fernando and Lando both having pretty good years in terms of just kind of hanging up there and picking up whatever is thrown at them for, you know, in terms of the Red Bull, the Ferrari, the Mercedes not doing their job. So good job by both of them. And then moving on to AlphaTauri, ooh, rough race for them. Uh, Pierre DNF, Yuki finishes last. And then, of course, the Yuki incident where he dives down at turn three, or turn two, rather. Turn three? I'm trying to think. Yeah, turn three. <laughs> down in that whole uh, section down there. Um, he dives down. Just a stupid move. He hits Pierre, gets the penalty for it. Both the cars, it seemed, got some damage, and they were on their way. And uh, <sighs> Helmet Marco even said that he thinks Yuki Tsunoda needs a psychologist because he's, he's very angry. <laughs> he's an angry driver, especially in the corners where he just dives down. He's angry on the radio, and, and you know, obviously you hear that with Yuki. You know what you're getting with him in terms of his personality and his fiery personality and, and him yelling on the radio all the time. And he even yelled and was cussing out the team <laughs> after that incident. But, man, I mean, Fred, Vas- Fred Vasseur, Fred Vasseur, Franz Toss. Getting my team principles mixed up here. Franz Toss already said that he was going to be or that lineup, that driver lineup was going to be the same next year. Nothing signed in in the contract, though. Red Bull's got a lot of junior drivers. If Yuki doesn't start putting in some more consistent results, it's you never know. I mean, he had the crash in Canada on the pit lane after running well. Now he's had this. He had the incident in Baku with the rear wing. Obviously, that's not his fault, but it's been a string of rough races for Yuki, so he needs to start putting something together here as we move uh, you know, closer to the summer break, and um, yeah, we'll see. we'll see what he's got. Now, Alfa Romeo, thankfully, thank God, Joe Guan Yu was okay. I mean, again, I mentioned at the top, but a super scary crash. Halo did its job. Roll hoop, not so much. And we got to investigate that one, as I mentioned. You know, that's obviously, again, that, to reiterate my point, it's not something that you essentially are expecting every race is the roll hoop to need to be used as the car flips over and crushes against the ground. But that's why safety regulations are in place, so that when that does happen, that it works properly. So hopefully they get that all squared away. And then on the other end of the uh, other side of the garage, Bottas with the DNF, just rough weekend for Alfa Romeo there. Not, uh, you know, not their best. It, you would have hoped with how much stuff went on, they maybe would have been able to survive. You know, that's kind of the goal, I think, of all these bottom five-ish teams is stay out of trouble, let everyone else crash, do whatever, and we'll just pick up the pieces and Speaking of that, that's kind of what the next two teams, Aston Martin and Haas, did. Starting with Aston Martin, Vettel in ninth, Stroll in 11th. Stroll didn't get the points, obviously, but a good running from them. Vettel finishes in the points. You know, I think that was all they could ask for, really. It was that's kind of where they're hanging around lately. I think they're doing better. They've got some upgrades on the car to where they're not down in the dumps every week. Saturdays are terrible. They cannot qualify that thing to save their lives. Granted, we've had two wet qualifyings in a row now. But yeah, it's something needs to get done because if they can improve that Saturday pace, they can really be looking at consistent points finishes. And I think that's kind of the goal I would think for them for the rest of the season. And I also want to talk about, you know, Vettel had that little show run in Nigel Mansell's car, which I thought was really cool. And they used carbon neutral fuel. So it was really sustainable. And I saw an article today that really interested me. It was, I think it was an Autosport article. And they said, you know, if we have carbon neutral fuel, then why can't we just go back to engines everyone loves the v you know the v8s the v10s just make it fun for everybody if if emissions and fuel aren't going to be a problem and we can just run it no matter what 
why not? And that's an interesting point they bring up. You know, obviously they want the V the V six hybrids that we have now. Those are really good engines, but I think a lot of people would love to see some V eights and V tens back on the track. And obviously we don't know which direction they'll go, but it, it's an awesome thing. They had that carbon neutral fuel in the car. It was thirty years ago, and it still works. So it just goes to show the technology and the and kind of the forefront that F1 is at in terms of creating this technology and pushing science forward because there's so much money going into this whole sport that they're constantly just coming up with new things and new ways to do things. And the regulations keep pushing the boundaries and they push the teams to just get more efficient, work smarter, and it it works. And it's awesome to see. So we'll see what that holds for the future, if there's anything with that. We know that F1's goal is to essentially be net zero by 2030, carbon net zero. So we'll see how that goes. We'll see if, if that fuel factors into it at all. If that you know plays with the engine regulations, there's still a lot up in the air about the engine regulations in 2026. So we'll see how that goes. And moving on to the next team, second to last team here, Haas. Mick Schumacher, your first points finish, buddy. Good job, man. It was awesome to see Mick in the points. He was so happy. I thought he could have got P7. Max was a little on the edge there on that battle. But, you know, it didn't seem too bad. You know, he definitely ran Mick out of room a couple of times, but Mick was able to hang on. And I think it was good for Mick to just kind of realize that the battle was happening last couple laps of the race. No need to do any of that funny business. No need to dive down the inside. You know, I think he was at the limit of where he needed to be, but he realized that, you know, he needs he needs to just finish in the points. And I thought it was interesting, too, both the Red Bulls, I thought could have very well gotten some reprimands, some penalties. I, Perez clearly went off on the Vale chicane in that whole battle with him, Leclerc, and Hamilton. And then he went off and pushed Hamilton again off the track. I thought he was going to get something out of that. Obviously, they chose not to do anything. Yes, it's you know it's hard racing. You don't want to you don't want to interfere with the hard racing that that was. But if we're going to be serious about track limits. He was four tires off the track, at least in the Vale chicane, came back, pushed Leclerc off the track, and then maintained his position on Leclerc. Yeah, he lost position to Hamilton, but that wasn't who he was battling. He was battling Charles Leclerc, and he lost that, or he kept that position. So that was a little bit of a rough one, I thought, and I thought there should have been something more said about that, done about that, but it is what it is. And then, of course, Kevin Magson and the points as well. Double points for Haas. Give it up for them. First time of the season. <laughs> they were... Double top 10 in qualifying in Canada before it all fell apart. This time, they actually get it all together. They get the double points finish. That was great to see for Haas, putting some momentum there. And finally, we come to Williams. It was an interesting weekend for Williams. They had all the upgrades on Alex Albon's car for qualifying, and he did terrible. And then they had no upgrades on Nicholas Atifi's car, and he made it to Q3. So, I don't know. It was a wet qualifying. It was a little weird. I think Alex mentioned something about the tire warm-up in Q1 that caused him, you know, he was doing, I guess, too many cool-down laps and he just said he couldn't get the tires in the right window. So I guess the strategy there was his downfall. And, of course, we mentioned Albon was you know in that involved in that huge crash in the beginning, so he didn't even get to race really much. And thankfully, he was okay. He was in the hospital as well as Joe after the race, you know, kind of sitting there. And uh, he even posted a picture, I believe, on his Instagram of him kind of in the hospital bed saying, yep, I'm good, guys. So, yeah, good to see him okay. And then Nicholas Satifi, Q3. I mean, Q3 for Nicholas Satifi? Did you ever in your life think you would see that? Now, the funnier thing was that he was about 40 seconds behind the <laughs> closest person in P9 because he didn't get a fast lap in. I believe he spun a couple of times. There was even a, a video track side of him spinning on one of his Q3 laps. So 
Hey, he made it to Q3. That's all you can ask for. Did you expect him to make it anywhere higher? P9? Not really. It's a miracle he even made it that high. So he gets into Q3, ended up finishing P12 in the race. He said it was fun after the race. You know, he said he was able to get his elbows out a little bit and do some battles. He had a couple of nice battles with Stroll along the way. So, um, yeah, you know, good for Latifi. Obviously, we don't know what his future holds. Probably not in F1 next year, if I had to guess. With guys like Piastri and Logan Sargent down there. You know, there's just so many names out there, young drivers out there that I think deserve a chance that it's going to be hard to... It's going to be hard to keep Nicholas TP in that seat next year, especially with the Derilton funding coming in. I don't think Williams need that money as much. So, yeah, we'll definitely see there. So, that's my long-winded recap of the uh, British GP. I hope you enjoyed it. Please, again, follow me down on, on the socials down here, Twitch, Twitter, Instagram. Hit me up there. Let me know what you think. Talk to me about F1. And, um, yeah, I'll be back. Pretty soon here, this is a little late Silverstone GP, kind of things got in the way, wasn't able to get this one done super early right after the race, so as I'm filming this, we got Austria in about six six hours, five hours, four hours, they're on the track pretty soon here in Austria, so uh, likely going to do the preview in between qualifying and the race, kind of like I did for Canada, so that way we'll get a little bit uh, of a lay of the land of what we're going to see in Austria, and um, yeah, so I'll see you pretty soon for that, thank you for listening. And I'll see you next time.